start there in verse 22. I've entitled this passage of Scripture, A Heartless Pursuit. A Heartless Pursuit there in verses 22 through 27. Uh, one thing I would like to share with you, there are always substitutes, right? There are substitutes that we have in this life. Some supposedly are better for us, and then there's some that are not. Obviously, there is no substitute for Jesus Christ in our life. And in our world today, there's many people, many things that we try to fill our lives with to replace what can only be filled by our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, back in China, they call this the cruel bread of China. During the great famine of China, the people made bread from a kind of edible earth. But this ingredient was devoid of any nutrients. So those who ate the loaves, they starved. There's also a bardo plant which grows in Australia. The spores of this clover fern can be made into bread and porridge. But they contain no proteins, carbohydrates, or vitamins, the essentials for sustaining life. Those who depend upon it for food will have their stomachs filled, but they'll eventually die. There are substitutes that are similar, but they are not the fulfillment. They are not they are not the true bread of life. Only Jesus Christ is the true bread. And people try to fill their lives with everything else. And we see that in culture today. We fill it with social media. We fill it with acceptance. We fill it with with all a plethora of stuff. Sports. We try to fill it with kids or grandkids. We fill it with something. But it is not Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is what fulfills the life of the person in desperate need of filling. And so many times we will pursue and desire these other things. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, this is much of the same crowd that had followed Jesus uh, that, was, that, that was there when Jesus fed the 5,000. Many of them. They were not all the same, but many of them were the same. It says, the next day, you know, it became evening. He fed the, the five to 15,000 folks. Jesus walks on water to the uh, disciples who are in the boat on the way to Capernaum. Jesus walks on the water. He gets in the boat and goes the rest of the way. And then they find him. They get in boats because they realize Jesus ain't over here with us. We don't know where he disappeared to. How did he get over there? There were no boats. Well, he's Jesus. Jesus can do whatever he wants to So anyway, he, they figure out, he, he, we got to go somewhere, so let's go across to Capernaum. Maybe they got some food over there. Because that's what's, that's what's pushing them in their pursuit is their stomachs, not their spirits. And so they, they, they are pursuing by Jesus because they get hungry again. It's breakfast time. Right? They have supper. They have supper, but then they didn't have enough for their, uh, for their breakfast, so they need to be filled again. So we find them the next day. They stayed on the far shore. I just went through so much of that. And they found him on the other side. They said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't interested in telling them about time frames. Well, I got here about, you know, about 10.45 last night. I took a nap. You know, he's not like me. Julie always says, you get too much information. Tell everybody. And I said, you know, it's just what I do. You know what I mean? You ask me, what did you do today? Well, get ready to sit down. I'm talk to you for a little bit. But, but Jesus wasn't worried about engaging them on that level. He was more concerned about their spirit than their stomachs. That's what they were concerned about. Jesus thought, listen, listen, I can feel you, I can bless you uh, as much as I want to with food. But you know what I really want to bless you with is something that's eternal, something that's going to last. And he says this to them there in verse 26. I tell you the truth, 
You want to be with me because of faith. Not because you understood the, miracle, the miraculous signs. He says, you want to be with me for food. You want to be for me for that. And you know, we find this same situation today. Certainly, to feed the hungry and clothe the naked is a Christian act, right? We have a food pantry. We do that once a month. We need to feed people. If we got the opportunity, to do so. But unless we use wisdom provided by the Lord in such matters, we can do more harm than good. Ministers in the church must use keen uh, discrimination in giving relief to the poor and destitute. When the church continually furnishes food and only for the poor, those who are helped sometimes make false professions of faith in order to assure food and money continue to come in. People do that. It's unfortunate. There are those who will join a church and attend services simply for what they can get in temporal things. Food, clothing, money to pay bills, use of a facility. Because so many churches now, you know, you got Christian life centers and people want to have baby showers and all this so they join a church. Or, you know, it used to be the big thing was people would join a church because they wanted to get a free plot in the cemetery. Really? They didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They just didn't want to have faith for things when it later on in life. People will do that. They'll take advantage of that. And that's what these folks were doing. Jesus tells them, I'll tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you, for God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. We need to understand that we need to seek after Christ. Jesus was speaking to the crowds about their reasoning for following him. Why are you following? Why are we following today? Are we following Jesus because it's just what we've always done? Is it what your mom and dad did? Is it what your grandparents did? Your great-grandparents did? Is that the reason why you follow Jesus? Or did you come to a place where you said, I am a sinner and I need Jesus? Because the law points me to the fact that I am a lawbreaker. And the only person who can make me right before the judge is, is my advocate, my attorney in Jesus Christ. So I go before him, but you know what? I've got to pay him. He's paid for me. And he stands in your place. And he says, I am your advocate. I am your advocate. He is the one we go to. He has got the seal of approval of the Father, of Father God. We need to seek after Jesus. We've got to seek after him. Jesus tells them, don't work for things that perish. And, and, and he says, he uses that context. I talked about this last week. Jesus is always using the geography and the things that are around him, things that they're doing to bring attention to what needs to be settled in the spirit. He uses the, the material to explain the immaterial. He says, take this, for example, and then apply this to the spiritual. Take this, for example, and apply this. And he's telling them, listen, you, you want food. We understand that. We all have a need to be fed. We need to be nourished physically. But if we're not nourished spiritually and healthy, we are, we are, we are poor and weak and, 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 and destitute without Christ. In our life. The thing about bread is also this. Bread can't be eaten once and then it just sustain you forever. You can't just eat bread one time. I meant to bring a piece of bread this morning. I thought about it. And uh, I don't know, I just got 
stuff. But you know, you think about this, bread is, is, is a staple food in almost every single culture. And you need that. I mean, obviously we see that today, our shortages on the shelves. You need wheat, you need grain, you need bread. It is a staple. And it's the same thing with Christ. He is the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. And a bread of life means you need to continually come to Him and be fed. People think, I'm, I come to Christ, I, I gave my life to Him. The gospel, I talked about a few weeks ago, the, the centrality of the gospel, it's not a past thing alone. It's not a present thing alone. It's not a future thing alone. It's all those things encompassed together. You've got to continually come to it. You have to continually come before the table of the Lord and partake of that bread, partake of Jesus. And that's not Sunday and Wednesday only. That's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And it start the process all over. If only the bread of life that you're getting, the only bread you're getting is on Sunday mornings, man, I tell you, I hate to see you come Friday. And not to be pointing any fingers, but I know a lot of you don't make it on Wednesday nights. So you're not getting it from me, at least on Wednesday nights. So, man, I, that's the reason why I preach so long. I'm trying to give you as much bread as I can. I'm about to take this thing off and throw it against the back wall. Siri, Siri can't get what I'm saying. But, but we've got to understand, you've got to keep coming back to Christ. You've got to keep coming to Him. He is the true bread. He is the one that meets our needs. We look there in the last part of that verse, and he says, Jesus says, the Father, for God the Father has given the seal of approval. The seal of approval is both the validation of the authority that Jesus had to perform miracles, and also the Holy Spirit, which rests on him powerfully, endorsing his ministry. He says, God the Father has endorsed me and authorized me to do what I am doing. I'm not doing this of myself. He said, I don't do these things. We'll get to that in just a moment. He talks about, I don't do this in and of myself. I do this by the Father's will. He's endorsed and he's authorized by the Father. For you and, for you and I, we must not be seeking Jesus to first meet our stomach's needs, but rather our spirit's needs. We need fulfillment in our souls before our stomachs. We must pursue the things of God. And we should be hungry and thirsty for righteousness for his name's sake. He is the bread of life. Here, he says, I know your motives. That's one thing I, I contemplated in titling this, Jesus knows our motives. He knows why we come. For you and I, we must seek Jesus first. We've got to seek Jesus first. He's the true bread. The Father set his approval on. Let's look at the next set of verses, verses 28 through 33. A challenge of comparison. Now, I've said this before. Comparison is a trap, right? Comparison is a terrible thing. You start getting into different situations and you start comparing things, and, and inevitably, you're going to get in trouble with it. Let's look at what happens here, verse 28 through 33. 28, uh, those that had followed him and come across the, uh, the water and came to Capernaum, they said, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? <laughs> what can you do? That's, a, that's an interesting question for Jesus, huh? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So look there, verse 28. When people ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? A question that shortly turns out less than perfectly sincere. Jesus replies, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Remarkably, Jesus described the work of God not as acts of law-keeping, not as acts of law-keeping, but as believing in Jesus. And this work is really no human work at all. It is the work of God. He says, y'all want to know what, how to work the works of God? You, you, you're not really interested in that. What you need to understand is you, the only work you need to do is believe in me. Believe in the one he has sent. Before you can do any work for God, you've got to believe on Jesus. I've said this many times. We don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation. There is no work. Now, I don't want to get too far into a possible sermon in the future. But in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man shall come to the Father except for me. Jesus didn't say works is the way, works is the truth, and works is the life. And no man shall come to the Father except through works. Did he? Did he? No, he did not. There is no work unless defined by Jesus as belief that can get you into heaven. Belief on the one he sent is the only way to heaven. There is no substitute. There is no way around it. People can say, oh, if you do enough good deeds, there's this golden scale and blah, blah, blah. Oh, come on. Throw that scale in the trash. Look to the cross. Look to Jesus. He's the only way to get to heaven. He says, you want to work works? Work this work. Believe in me. Believe in me. Quit trying to do everything else. Jesus is telling them, do you realize all the laws that the Pharisees had? Do you think you've got to work all those works to get to heaven? You're going to break so many of them. I mean, there was ten originally. You couldn't keep those. And he's got the Levitical laws. There are tons of those. Do you really think that you want to go to a law? Come to me. Come unto me, Jesus says. All you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto the Father. Come unto Jesus. Come unto Jesus. He goes on, and they, and they say, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Listen, that, that is true. The rabbis thought that when Messiah came, he would duplicate the miracle of manna. That's what the rabbis taught. So they fully thought that whoever the Messiah is going to be, he's going to bring manna too. He's going to bring it down from heaven. But they misunderstood. Jesus is the manna from heaven. Jesus is the manna from heaven. And when we think about this comparison, this work that Christ called them to, a belief in the one that God sent himself, it was countered by the crowd asking for, why should we believe in you? Why should we believe in you? Some had not been at the feeding of the five thousand. Some had not been at the feeding of the five thousand. 
Some were there, but were not aware of the miracle. You, I mean, you haven't been in a big crowd. You didn't really know what was happening up at the very front, but you were kind of participating in it, right? You've probably been there or something like that. I've been to concerts. I've been to other activities. There's a lot of things going on. You're way back in the back of the crowd. You really don't know what's going on. You've been to football games and baseball games, and something's occurred over here in the stands, or something's happening over there, or whatever it may be. You're, you're, you're there, but you don't really know. You don't really know what's happening. And then there's others who were there, but were hardened to the reality of the miracle. And I, I just want to give you an understanding of what that may look like in our churches today. People are often similar in their observations of the church and its work. Some just aren't here. And they question what you've done. Why'd you do that? Why, where are you doing that? How are you doing that? We ain't done it that way before. You know, they ain't been here. So they question what you've done. Some are here but unaware because they're just enjoying what they can get. Right? I just got my head down. I'm enjoying what I get. I get air conditioning. I get a Sunday school. I get air conditioning. I get a worship <coughs> service. But they're not really aware of what's happening. That's those who are eating of the bread and the fish. And they're just like, hey, I don't know what Jesus did, but I'm hungry and it's here. You know? Then there are others who are here. They see the work the Lord's doing, but they don't rejoice, participate, or see it for God's glory. They're here, but, but they, don't, they don't rejoice. It's not the way I would have done it. It's, you know, nobody asked me to help. I don't see it for God's glory. Listen, be a part. Be a part. Don't just, don't just be a part of the crowd. Be a part of the body. Functioning. Function in the body. Look there in verse 32. Jesus' answer was twofold in their statement on Moses and the man. There in verse 32. He says, first, he reminds them that it was not Moses who had given them the manna. He says, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. It was God. And second, he told them that the manna was not really the bread of God. It was only the symbol of the bread of God. The bread of God was he who came down from heaven and gave men not only satisfaction for physical hunger, but life. Jesus was claiming that the only real satisfaction was in him. The only real satisfaction was in him. He says the true bread of God is one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus gives true life to the world. Let's look there in the last set of verses, verses 34 through 40. A fulfillment in Christ. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Boy, I sure wish that was the prayer of every individual uh, in this world. Give us that bread every day. Give us the bread of life every day. Is that, is that our heart's desire? But again, you know, they were confused. They were thinking about some guy, much like the woman at the well. He said, if you only knew who's giving you this water. If you only knew who's giving you this water. They didn't realize who it was. They said, give us that bread every day. Jesus like, hang out with me. Hang out with me. You can have it until the Lord calls me, until my Father calls me home. You can have it. You can have this bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never 
reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. When we look at this passage of Scripture, they're saying, give us that bread every day. Today, we have no excuse. Zero excuse as to why we can't have that bread every day. Zero excuse. It don't matter what stage of life you're in, you can have that bread of life every single day. Just as I, I sat down here in this phone, I can I can open this phone up and I can go to this app called the U version app. I can go in here and I can go to Bible and I can I can read the Bible every single day. I can go in here to plans and I can read from plans every single day of the week. And there's a plethora of land plans. I can hit five plans and there's plans after plan after plan of plan. There's it brings me to the bread of life. There's no excuse. No excuse for us saying, I can't be in the Word of God. I can't come to the bread of life. You're lying. I'm lying. We're lazy. I'm lazy. What you've got priority on, you're going to do. You want a cup of coffee? You're going to set it up the night before. You're going to hit the start button the next morning. If you want Jesus, set it up the night before and open the Word of God the next morning. If you want life, if you want the bread of life, set it up that way. If you don't, be lazy. Jesus is right there. He was right before these people. He had fed them physical bread. All he said to do was believe on them. That's all they had to do. Believe on him. Believe in the one the Father has seen. Barclay, as I was reading him this week in his commentary, he gave some really good insight into this last passage of Scripture. And I just want to share some of that with you today. First, what did Jesus mean when he said, I am the bread of life? It is not enough to regard this simply as simply a beautiful and poetic phrase. It's not just a beautiful and poetic phrase. But it's analyzed what Jesus said step by step. Jesus said, Bread sustains life. It is that which, it is that without which life cannot go on. Life cannot go on without bread. So that's, he says, I am the bread of life. Again, he's using something there that everybody understood in that region. And for all of us today, we know that. What is, what is life? Well, clearly life has meant something far more than physical existence. So what is this new spiritual meaning of life? What is it? Well, real life is a new relationship with God. The relationship of trust and obedience and love of which we have already thought. That relationship is made possible only by Jesus Christ. And apart from Him, no one can enter into it. This is to say, without Jesus, there may be existence, but no life. Therefore, if Jesus is essential to life, He may be described as the bread of life. The hunger of the human situation is ended, 
when we know Christ and through him know God. The rest of soul is at rest. The hungry heart is satisfied. That's first. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I am the bread of life. And secondly, this passage opens out to us the stages of the Christian life. We see Jesus. We see him in the pages of the New Testament. We see him in the teaching of the church. Sometimes we can even experience him face to face. We see Jesus. They saw Jesus face to face. They saw him meeting their physical needs and then he was trying to meet their spiritual needs. We see him doing those things. We see Jesus. And having seen him, we come to him. We regard him not as some distant hero and pattern, not as a figure in a book, but as someone accessible, someone we can come to. That's who Jesus is. We believe in him. We see him. We come to him. We believe in him. That is to say, we accept him as the final authority on God, on man, and on life. And that means that our coming is not just a matter of mere interest, nor a meeting on equal terms. It is essentially a submission. It is a submission. In Romans 10, 9 10, it tells us that if you will confess with your mouth to Jesus, Lord, you submit to a Lord. You don't submit to a Savior. A Lord can't save you from things, but you don't submit to a Savior. You submit to a Lord, and He becomes your Savior. Because the Lord knows what you need. It's essentially a submission. The process gives us life. That is to say, it puts into us a new and beautiful relationship with God. Unlike before, wherein, uh, where before he was, we were fearful and afraid of him. We didn't know him. But now he becomes an intimate friend that we're at home with. I'm not afraid of God anymore. And that might, you may say, well, really? I'm not afraid of him as a, as, as a lost person should be. I'm, I'm fearful of him because of his reverence and his holiness. But his punishment is not applied to me anymore. I don't live in that kind of fear. And God's will is not for you to live in that fear anymore. He wants you to understand reverence and awe and respect for his holiness. But he doesn't want you to live in fear of him. He, he is, he can be a friend and he wants a relationship The possibility of this is free and universal. The invitation is to all men and the bread of life is ours for the taking. The only way to that new relationship is through Jesus Christ. As I quoted earlier, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man shall come to the Father except through me. It's what Jesus has said. He is the only way to a relationship with God. He's the only way to God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Without Him, it never would have been possible. And apart from Him, it is still impossible. No searching of the human mind or longing of the human heart can fully find God apart from Jesus Christ. At the back of the whole process is God back of this whole process is God. It is those whom God has given him who come to Christ. God not only provides the goal, he moves in the human heart to awaken desire to him, for him. And he works in the human heart to take away the rebellion and the pride which would hinder the great submission. 
We could never even sought him unless he had already found us. The Bible tells us that God, it says here in the, in the passage of Scripture, however, those the Father has given me, verse 37, however, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise him up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. That is the beauty of the fact of how the process of coming to Christ works. God speaks to the human heart. He draws them under the sun. Through the sun, you, you are granted passage and favor before the Father God. Then the Holy Spirit is placed into you when you have confessed faith in Jesus Christ. Not only is he placed in you, you are sealed by him until the day of redemption. The scripture tells us he teaches you all things. He counsels you in all things. He uh, communicates and intercedes on our behalf before the Father is what the Holy Spirit does. That's all part of the process of salvation. But there remains this stubborn suffering that enables us to refuse the offer of God. Life is there for the taking or for the refusing. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? If you go on through the rest of this chapter and you look through the rest of this chapter, Jesus talks about eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood. I'm not going to go into all that today. But he's talking about how he's the bread of life. He's coming back to him. That's symbolized when we partake of the Lord's Supper. You can't do those things unless you come to faith in Jesus Christ. You are not supposed to partake of the Lord's Supper. The Scripture talks about that unworthily. That's not talking about if you have sin in your life, because we all got sin in our life. But when we come to the Lord's table, we should repent before we partake of the bread, before we drink of the wine, before we do that. We should repent. A couple of weeks ago, we took the Lord's Supper. When you took that bread out, I, normally, we're getting back into the routine of how, how we uh, have done that tradition. Normally, I would say, when you receive that piece of bread, contemplate what the Lord Jesus did in his life in his death and in his resurrection before you partake of that bread. Repent of your sins. Confess those before the Lord. So that when you partake, you don't partake unworthy. Not just from a lost person's standpoint, but from a redeemed individual standpoint. We should come before the, the table of the Lord with purity of heart. And if you've never partaken of the bread of life spiritually, you sure don't need to take of the representation of the body and blood of Jesus Christ physically. Because you ain't taking care of it. You ain't taking it spiritually first. That's the reason why the scripture talks about taking it unworthy. You don't take of the Lord's Supper <coughs> unless you have called out to Christ in repentance of sin, asked Him to be your Lord, and believe that God the Father raised His Son from the dead. Then you have the you have the capability and the opportunity to participate in partaking in the Supper. If you've never done that before, you've partaken unworthily. Scripture says there's bad things that happen when that comes. But we need to partake of the bread of life. 
Jesus is the true bread. When we take of the bread of life, two things happen. First, in the life, there is new satisfaction. The hunger and the thirst are gone. The human heart finds what it is searching for. And life ceases to be mere existence and becomes a thing at once of thrill. And life becomes a thing of peace. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Even beyond life, we are now safe. Even on the last day when all things end, we are still secure. As a great commentator once said, Christ brings us there. Christ brings us to the haven beyond which there is no danger. Christ brings us to the haven beyond which there is no danger.